welcome to the season ending podcast Taya. thank you chris great to great to be here nice nice to do one i'm glad we got together for one more of these absolutely um it was such an exciting last few weeks of the of the league so uh you know it's good to get get a little recap going get a little momentum going into the off season um and I, I gotta say we have a very very special guest today we do. I'm I'm so excited to have uh, to have our uh, new champion uh, Eric joining us for the first time on this podcast. Uh, Eric's been one of the most engaged and competitive managers in the league, and we're we're very lucky to have him um, driving the competition. Welcome, Eric. Thanks. It's good to be here. Eric, you're calling in from. I'm calling in from Popayan, Colombia. Um, we're kind of down in the southern end of Colombia where nobody has any idea about baseball. So uh, everybody here is just uh, pretty much just into soccer and a lot of cycling, actually, is probably the number two uh, sport down here. But uh, most, of the, most of the baseball fanatics are up around kind of the Caribbean coast in uh, Cartagena and Barranquilla is where you see most of the, most of the major leaguers. Yeah, I think what Julio Tehran is from Cartagena, if I recall. Um, but there I, been- I, I mean, he's Colombian for sure. Um, kind of the most notable, the most famous by far Colombian baseball player is uh, Edgar Renteria. Mm. And that's the one. And he's now, uh, I can tell you a funny story about him. I was telling you guys just a little bit ago, but I used to be a sports reporter near Seattle. And when I had the opportunity to cover the All-Star game and when it came to Safeco in I think 2001 might have been 2001 or sometime around there but i got the i got the chance to interview edgar and Taria, and i remember it was one of the strangest interviews i ever did because i couldn't understand a word he said when he spoke english he had a very very thick accent it was probably maybe the most difficult spanish speaker um, to understand and since I've come down here, I've lived here now about nine years, and I've heard him speak many times in Spanish doing interviews. He's the manager of uh, Team Colombia for the World Baseball Classic, and he's very easy to understand in Spanish. I could understand him actually better, much better in Spanish now than English. But yeah, so he's famous. Orlando Cabrera. I don't know if you remember shortstop yeah, um, for, the, for the Expos and uh, a couple other teams for a while there. And then um, um, some guys that are in the majors now. There's a lot more coming up now. Jorge Alfaro um, is there. Um, Teran, Julio Quintana, or not Julio, uh, Jose Quintana, uh, pitched for the Cubbies and the White Sox. Sure. Yeah, every every year in fantasy, I would grab Quintana because he had that one good year, and there's a lot of potential there. But uh, Mm -hmm. he always earned me in fantasy for whatever reason. Yeah, high whip. A lot of a lot of base yeah. runners with him. Yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, well, yeah, that's that's awesome. Uh, do you want to give us a little bit of background about how you found Teo and you know ended up joining this league? I think uh, Teo kind of found me. I think was more the Teo. I, I forget exactly how Teo joined. Um, the, I have a league that I'm commissioner of, um, and Teo joined three years ago, four years ago. Yeah, three, three or four. Uh, yeah, it's been one of the one of the more active. Took a got a team that's kind of in the middle of a, that was right at the beginning of a rebuild, and so got to uh, is uh, has kind of been building that back up since. But uh, but yeah, it's been really active, and so um, yeah. And then when he was starting up this league, I guess uh, he asked me about it a couple of years ago. So 
and yeah, and I'm thrilled to have joined. I've had a great time. Yeah, this this league is really made in the image of uh, of Eric's of Eric's league. I had never played even in a keeper league before uh, before joining yours, and um, I, I thought it just added like so much depth and um, a whole new dimension to to the game. To me, to me, like keeper, actually dynasty, I would say is much more like is like sculpture instead of pictures. You know, it's a, there's like an, a third dimension to it as opposed to to the other one. So I've kind of gradually over the years just kind of eliminated my redraft leagues and I pretty much only do keepers now because there's just there's just more to do. There's just kind of more different ways to think about it. How many uh, keeper leagues are you in right now? Um, I am in five. I, uh, I'm in five leagues, but only two dynasty. Did you win any of your other leagues this year? I won. I I I won four of those. I have one other uh, league that is a redraft league. But yeah, this is by far the best year overall I've ever had. And there's just a. I mean, it's basically the constant theme for most of them is uh, Carlos Correa and Carlos Rodon. So I've called it my Carlos year. But because uh, I got them for like basically nothing in a lot of leagues, and and they were they were really huge. I just want to confirm. You said you won four out of five leagues this year. I won four out of the five, and I got second in the other one. And I'm I'm a little pissed about that because I lost it on. Tri- it has triples, and I got like zero triples, which I consider just a luck <laughs> category. But yeah, but yeah, I know it's is absolutely the last year. The last couple of years, I've had maybe one or two titles total out of those years, and then this year just kind of, I I had more time. I I'll I, I will credit most of the success in this league to increased um, to to increased internet capacity here. I could I was actually able to stream a lot more games at the same time, and um, so before this year, I could really only stream like a single game on that and I have no attention span for that. So this year I was able I, I was like streaming four or five at a time Whoa. to watch to watch the games and pausing. And so I was able to see and especially in spring training was really nice because I was able to like see a lot more pictures and that. And that's um that's kind of how I ended up with Rodon. I saw him in a spring training game. And I, which I was not there to look at him. I was there because he was pitching against Freddie Peralta and Peralta was putting up really good numbers. I was like, I'm going to check this out because he's always had good stuff, you know? And he walked four or five guys in that game. But Rodon, I mean, the, the Brewer hitters were so uncomfortable against Rodon, lefties and righties both. And at one point, Rodon hit a guy in the foot who swung at, at the pitch. So he didn't go as a hit by pitch. And I was like, God, that, that can't just be coincidence, you know? Cause I mean, Rodon's got the pedigree. He's, he was the number three, number three pick overall, I think. And yeah. it, it just never came together. So I was like, yeah, that was kind of, that was, that was intriguing. I mean, he was, he was throwing hard this year. I mean, I think I saw him flirting with, with triple digits. Mm-hmm. Is that, has, has that always been a part of his game? I haven't followed him. I haven't. I, um, in the other league, I drafted him. I got him initially, but he went through waivers for years because he was putting up, you know, 
five point whatever ERAs and one point six whips all of the time. And so I basically lost track of him. And then yeah, it was almost just just kind of a bit of luck to uh, to kind of notice how he was doing. Did and then he had that no hitter early in the year was I feel like it was kind of his breakthrough. Really. That was that was the single most dominant. I think that may be the single most dominating pitching performance I've ever seen, including some perfect games, because there was there was nothing close. You know, you usually have that great catch against the wall or you have that diving spear or something that stops it. He lost the perfect game on a check on a, almost a similar pitch, a check swing that hit him in the foot that hit the batter in the foot in the ninth inning. And that was the only uh, that was the only base runner of that game that he gave up, and it it was just it was just a masterpiece. And I and I almost didn't start him that day. I almost I I had I didn't start him the first game he pitched, and then I was like, because eh. I was pretty choosy, especially early on, about who I was starting. Um, I'm just uh, like kind of going back over our year right now, and I'm, I'm looking at our draft from the offseason, and you weren't really too aggressive in the draft. Uh, you had made a couple really nice pickups, but was that, you know, have you, were you purposefully not not aggressive, or is that a strategy of yours to, in these? In you know, the draft? Yeah. Um, I guess, what do you mean by aggressive, as in like going for the big names or the. You know, we had. Uh, Torkelson, somebody you know spent fifty six bucks on him. I'm, I'm trying to look at who you spend your money on. Means was obviously an amazing pick. I think you got it for nine bucks. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. I guess it's just kind of luck of the draw. Um, I don't. Means was an amazing pickup though. Did you pick him? See him in spring training? Yeah, I, like I saw. Him. I saw him in. I saw him in spring training too. He's um, he's intriguing as a as a Braves fan. He's uh, he's Lavinish. He's uh, yeah. he's kind of got that that same type of thing. He can work inside, he can work inside and out. Um, I'm trying to remember exactly why I was I was high on him. I think I was more high on him just because I viewed him as, as I viewed him and I think it was Eflin as maybe the two um, the two most reliable starters out there. I can't I. The one thing I do remember coming into this draft is I knew I was going to need to find a lot of innings because I was still going to be dealing with um, Sale out for most of the year, Severino out for most of the year, and then and then Verlander also out for most of the year. So, and I hadn't I hadn't picked up Bauer yet. I think we, um, if I'm if I'm remembering right, we had basically agreed to that deal, but didn't get it done before the before the draft, and so kind of the principles were there, and then, um, but I wasn't 100 percent sure I was going to get him. So I wanted, I wanted innings more than anything else, and he seemed like a pretty, he seemed like he would be a guy that that the Orioles would be happy to throw out there 160, 180 innings. And that and that wouldn't kill on uh, ERA or WHIP. So, hey, you've been you've been doing this for for a little while. So, did you was there any temptation to go after you know some of the flashy you know first year first year players? Um, like Torkelson. Well, Torkelson, I think, was a foregone conclusion. Um, you know, you you, yeah. could, you knew that he was going to go on the first bid, but like well, Max Mayer, yeah. players like that. I, I thought I will, and it was um, and uh, Judge 
judge basically told me when we were talking that he was going to do that. And so I wasn't at all surprised when we made our trade. Um, as I would, I like uh, uh, the Jared Walsh for uh, Rasmussen. That was more on my end for getting um, getting some dollars because nobody had picked up any any extra draft money at that time. And so I was like, well, maybe if nobody thinks about this and I get these extra two dollars, I can use this to basically get Torkelson and that. But he would he was the only one of the main guys that I thought I would have any interest in. Mm. And so, and as you've kind of probably seen, I trade, I, I don't usually keep prospects until they get to the majors. And you probably noticed that in the other league too, because we've made some prospect type trades too there. Um, I just, I view them kind of more as currency. And so it's, it's almost embarrassing. I was looking at this. The one thing I did prepare for this interview is I was like, I'm going to see all the players, all the prospects I've traded away. So I've traded away now, Noel V. Marte, Marco Luciano, um, wrote this, oh, uh, Ryder Green, and, um, and I had to trade away Jose Barrero, um, um, basically to get another relief pitcher after I, or to get in the pitcher after all my pitchers started getting hurt. And so, and I'm forgetting when, oh, and uh, Lodolo. And I guess you could call Scooball too. But I traded those guys away and because of the Bauer situation, basically ended up with almost nothing for, for any of them, um, all of these guys. And those are all, most of those guys are top 20 now prospects or have just graduated after being top 20 prospects so yeah i probably would have traded torkelson in fact i probably i i know i can think of the trade i would have i would have traded him for scherzer um <laughs> if i'd had him because i had a uh, that was that was when when brad got uh scherzer i was that was kind of disappointing because i had been working towards that and i wouldn't part with julio rodriguez for it but um but, but if i'd had Luciano, if I did Marte, I'm guessing I probably could have gotten Scherzer and made this made it a lot of a, a very different year. So you've you've held on to Rodriguez. Do you think he's a, a cut above all these other prospects? No. Yes. No. Yes. <laughs> kind of. Um, I haven't gotten a good enough deal for him. I would trade him if uh, if I got a good enough deal. But I kind of told myself I'm like I'm not going to trade him for a pitcher. Um, just because pitcher, pitchers are more transit transitory to me and so they don't it's there's so few of them that are good for five years six years seven years that that i'd rather keep uh i'd rather keep them but if yeah but if if uh if anybody if anybody wants to trade juan soto or something for him i can uh i can certainly work him into that deal he had a huge year Soto or Julio? Or Julio? Both, Julio? Both yeah. Julio. yeah, Julio, Julio batted about 340, 350 throughout I, the season and actually started stealing bases, which I don't think he'll do. But yeah, I wasn't, ex- that was the piece I really wasn't expecting. I mean, that's yeah. a pretty uh, tantalizing overall package. It is. Yeah. I mean, I'm certainly, I'm, at this point, it's looking much more likely that I'll actually get to play in. So. So, Eric, has, um, you know, is this a case of like a good process, uh, suboptimal outcomes, or did these trade experiences influence your thinking moving forward? 
I don't, I, I don't really, you mean as far as the, I, the, the kind of, I look at, I look at prospects in a dynasty more, much more as just kind of capital mm -hmm. in a sense. And so, yeah, I mean, I can look back at those guys and say, yeah, that wouldn't have done it. But at the same time, I wouldn't have won this league without the hundred, the, uh, the hundred innings from Bauer that I got mm -hmm. and I wouldn't have, I, I needed, I needed Jeff McNeil to get Bauer, I think. And that's in that sense. So, I mean, it's difficult to say that, and even Grinky, I mean, the, the weirdest Grinky is Grinky. I think is the only pitcher on my team that I got more than 120 innings out of this year really? um, for that. And then I, I waived him and I ended up having to wave him at the end. So, because, but part of that's because I didn't pitch them all the time either. Right. So, what about um, Grayson Rodriguez? I mean, you arguably have the top hitting and the top pitching prospect right now. So, mm -hmm. I mean, you're sitting pretty right there. Do you is he a, somebody who you are gonna look to flip? Do you think or never never seen him pitch? Yeah. Um, so at this point, um, I the one thing I've one thing I've kind of found over that is that you can it's for at least to me it's much easier to judge pitchers by watching them than it is hitters um batter batters will tell you how a pitcher is and the more uncomfortable the batter to me the more uncomfortable the batters look um that was a big reason why i ended up picking up manoa because god nobody looks comfortable hitting against manoa and um and yeah i think I think when and if the automated strike zone comes in, that I think Alec Manoa is going to become a, a Cy Young candidate because he he loses so many strikes because his ball moves so much. Mm. That oh, and I think Tanner Houck too. Tanner Houck is the other one I've kind of seen that that does that too with that slider of his. But Manoa loses them on both sides of the plate. Is the amazing thing his fast his fastball tails. Or I, I I don't know if it's a fastball even, but something he has tails into righties, and then he has that slider that that tails out. And yeah, I had I lost. In fact, it was I lost a quality start on him when he walked at five and two thirds innings. He walked a batter where the last two balls were both in the strike zone, or they they showed up on that and didn't get and he didn't get the call on either one of them, and then mm -hmm. got pulled. And I was like, I just got a walk, lost the strikeout, lost the quality start, and had my my walk to strikeout ratio killed. So, yeah, it was it was it was frustrating. But yeah, he, that was that was just ridiculous. But getting back to Grayson, I haven't I have never seen him pitch, so I don't have any feel for him. And yes, I will be happy to trade him if I can uh, if if I can get the right deal for him. But. Very interesting. Well, I, I'll be interested to see who makes you some offers based on this podcast because absolutely, sure, yeah, I'm sure half the league is looking to to grab either of those players. That's mm -hmm. good stuff. Um, so I, I kind of want to just go back, you know, look at the at the season, big picture. Um, you know, I, I the last couple of podcasts, we've been, we almost anointed Brad the champion, um, and then. Uh, it, it kind of occurred to us, wow, uh, Eric has a chance here, and, and maybe you've known, maybe all along you knew exactly what you wanted to do. But 
if you could just talk us through your season, um, you know, would love to know a little bit about your strategy, um, especially with your pitching. I think you, you plan your pitching exceptionally well. So we'd love to hear your take on your season. Um, okay. Well, going back the first, I had, I had a lot of, I had a lot of fun and kind of had to bite my tongue hearing that because <laughs> to me, I was, a, I was, I considered myself to be the front runner, um, up until second week of September. And what and especially after um, especially after Blake Snell turned into Cy Young Blake Snell for about a month there, and I actually caught up with Brad faster than I thought I would because I was four hundred three or four hundred innings behind him, in in far as as far as the totals and kind of just looking at where I was expecting me to be and where I was expecting who I was expecting to pass him in in the counting categories in there. Um, I had it calculated out that I had about a 10 point lead, um, for a good portion of the year. And then for about a two week span, all of my hitters simultaneously stopped homering and that, cause if you recall, uh, Chris, Chris won going away in the home run category, but for, uh, up until about July, I think we were pretty neck and neck mm-hmm. in that. And so I had, I, I, didn't really worry about it. And I was, um, I thought, I mean, even when you kind of pulled ahead of me, I was like, okay, that's fine. I'm in 11th. And so that combined with Brad's um, excellent trio of, of waiver pickups of, uh, I think it was Schwarber, Otto, and Solaire at the end that he picked up, that he actually came and just kind of zipped right by me in that um and then i think i had five homers total in two weeks so winker winker went on the dl and and walsh went on the dl and everybody else just stopped and so um and then the same week that that happened basically rodone rodone came back but was only throwing like a few innings at a time they were saving him and sale got covid and Oh, and uh, Snell basically went, all three of them kind of went down at the same time. And my whole contingency plan was basically I had to get to 1,550 innings because I needed to pass, um, I needed to pass, I had about six managers that I needed to pass in strikeouts. And I had to do it without, um, and I had to do it with it still getting about a strikeout in any, or, or I wasn't going to be able to catch up to all of them. And so, yeah, that's when you started seeing me trade like all of my draft dollars to get Wainwright and Merrill Kelly and, um, and even some relievers and even like Gallegos and, and just kind of picking up whoever I could find that I didn't think was going to destroy me. And so, yes, kind of starting about the second, the second week of September, I was like, this is going to be really, really tight. And I could, and I, I was kind of going through about every, I don't know, maybe once a week and just kind of updating where I was and how many strikeouts and kind of going through the math on all of that. And yeah. And so, and so kind of going into that, even kind of going into that last week, I, I was, 
um, I was even getting a little worried about quality starts because I had kind of said, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to win quality starts. And then all of a sudden I kept getting like that Manoa game, five and two thirds here, five and two thirds there. So many guys that were getting so close to quality starts and losing them. And I was watching these games and it was just like, I was, I, was, I was like, I don't know, maybe Brad did something good in a form of life or something that was that was doing this. I had another day too, because I the I expected to win, um, or not necessarily win, but I expected to pass Brad in saves and holds, and I wasn't able to get there. And part of that was there was a span where I would um, – Nolan Arenado and Giancarlo Stanton homered within one minute of each other. And it cost me three save holds at the time because both of both of the homers put their teams up by four. And I lost to Chad Green and I lost Gallegos and I lost uh, Garcia because they all pitched with four, four run leads. Wow. And so I thought at that point, I was like, I'm just, this is, this is destiny. I was like, I was like, Brad's just destined to get this. And that. so it was, yeah. But man, yeah, it was, it was fun. It was stressful. Down I'd love to hear a little bit about, um, you know, you were pretty selective about pitch, uh, who you started in your rotation and, you know, who you benched. Um, was that a, a day-to-day thing? Did you, did you have to look at the matchups a lot? Um, how did that come to be? Um. It had a lot to do with the matchups, and I, I wasn't able to be as selective the second half because I was just every time I had a guy, a guy rolling, then he went down and that. But yeah, I mean, I didn't start Bauer at Coors. Other than that, he was a he was kind of an automatic start. Means became an automatic start. Roland uh, Radon became an automatic start. Um, um, I didn't start. I, I put, when we traded uh, when we traded for the Snell trade, I did not intend to start him the entire year. <laughs> I I was looking at him as purely as a prospect. I was just thinking of him as a prospect wow. in a sense that I I didn't get him to to, uh, to do that. I just was like, how many prospects can you pick up that already have a Cy Young, you know? And so, um, what is your read on Snell right now? My read on Snell is. Uh, is and the and the reason I started actually trusting him a little bit was uh, he completely changed his pitch selection. Um, he basically I can't remember he he dropped his curveball from about thirty percent down to like once maybe like twice a game. I mean he just basically abandoned it and went um, only fastball slider. And as soon as as I mean it was just the night and day switch difference that's that's it's exactly that time when uh when he switched so yeah i mean i if you would uh, if we had been doing this interview on july 31st i would probably tell you he's i he's unlikely to be a keeper at that point and now he will be wow unless i trade him yeah i think he was my my third round pick two years ago so i was i mean and listening to I you, I, I'm I'm very like it, your patience with with players and your ability to look long term is you know I mean I'm very jealous of that. I, I feel like my Snell was you know maybe a special circumstance, but you know 
getting rid of players uh, who I got frustrated after a couple starts. I mean, I'm guilty of that as much as anybody. Yeah, and I, um, I have, I've had him for three years in the other league that, that Theo and I are in, and um, and I, so I know your frustration. I, I, I could see him. I, I just kind of looked at him as because, because um, the the two guys that I gave you too were. I felt like I felt like everybody in that trade was really just a dice roll kind of thing. Yeah. It was just kind of it was just kind of let's see let's see who comes out of that. Um, and I didn't have a really good feel for for whether any of those four were going to get capped. You know, but yeah. All right. So Eric, just looking at your roster here, um, there aren't a lot of holes in my opinion. Um, where do you think you have room for improvement going into next year? Um, and you know, what do you, what are your plans for the off season? Um, as far as, uh, as far as making trades, I don't, I mean, it's, it's one of the situations that's a little more difficult is that really the only space where I could, I, I think that I could make a huge gain would be catcher. Cause I don't have yeah. one in that. Right. And I didn't have a catcher for the last three weeks of the season but um i think if i have i haven't even thought about this to be honest but if i think if i have any strategy it might be maybe to use somebody i have along with and package a prospect for a as an upgrade or something there um i'm looking at keeping probably 11 starters um, out of that, basically a lot because of the experience of this year, because of how many different starters I had to go through and to, to be able to keep that flexibility to bench, to not pitch a guy in a certain circumstance. I've learned now that you don't pitch anybody against the Rays in this league because it kills your uh, walks and strikeouts because they, they're just too patient. And so, um, and I've got a lot of NL or AL East pitchers. So, um, so yeah, it's, a, it, I'm, I'm definitely looking to do that, but yeah, I mean, anybody who wants, anybody who wants to, uh, to do a trade, I had category speaking, my, my offensive weakness is, uh, is stolen bases at this point. Cause I was basically leaning really heavy on, um, on starting Marte and I don't know if I'll be able to do that every year. So, um, pitching wise. I'm thinking my biggest weakness to me felt like um, the walks to strikeouts, which was which I've never had that in a league before, and I've never kind of had to manage that. So that was pretty difficult. I went. Um, I think I was looking at it. I was like at in the middle of May. I was either first or second at the top in that category. Went all the way down to the bottom in that category. Went all the way back up to number eleven or to eleven points to second and then crashed again and then finally just kind of settled in the middle and i could not figure out why and i was looking at all of my pitchers i wasn't pitching otani very much and so i was looking at all my pitchers and i could not figure out why i was crashing and it turned out it was alex reyes <laughs> it was and i wasn't looking at my relievers i was just looking at starters and and so just out of curiosity i went through it and alex reyes gave me more walks than any other pitcher on my team 
Wow. No. This year, including the starters, any starter. And there's no starter. Alex Reyes walked, I think it was 40 guys, and nobody else had more than like 35. And he and a single relief pitcher torpedoed that. So I have to keep an eye on an eye out for that. But um, so yeah, but I but I think if I had if Verlander and Sale come back to kind of their normal things, I don't think that category is going to be too difficult because they're both over five five and a half six to one walk the strikeout guys so i think they hopefully will uh will take care of that but um yeah other than that um probably have to reconstruct my bullpen again but um just curious uh you know you seem very knowledgeable about a lot of different players where what do you read up on? Where do you get your knowledge from? Like, are there any websites that you read uh, for fantasy or? I, I, I don't read anything uh, for fantasy based. I find it so incredibly boring. Um, there, uh, I don't know if you guys are familiar. Um, there's a, a psychologist, I guess you would call socio-psychologist named um, um, Daniel Kahneman. And he, uh, he did a huge study, um, and they did a study based on the concept of punditry in general, pundits for political pundits. And what they basically found is that experts are no better than average at that, whether it's selecting stocks, whether it's selecting, whether it's predicting elections, or in the case of sports, whether it is. So um, I basically have a, a kind of a two-pronged approach is that I... For pitchers, I watch them. Um, if I if I can see them, if the bat the batters to me tell you um, if a pitcher's good, and uh, by just kind of how awkward they are. So I basically use that for pitching, and then um, and then for hitting, I try to pick the most boring, <laughs> the most boring, most predictable hitters. And that's I mean that's how I ended up with Bregman. It's how I ended up with uh, Bryce Harper. It's how I ended up with Bogarts. It's just guys that every year, you know what you're going to get. You know that it, it's going to be really, really predictable. The only variable is, is injury with these guys. And yeah, and so, um, yeah, this league, was a, this league was a little bit different because I had to bump, you, I've, I've never done a league with walks either as a, as a specific category. So I kind of treated it like stolen bases and bumped up all the guys who have, um, who who were hundred walk guys and that, which is kind of why I hang on to Nimmo, um, which is and uh, and that and I I overdid it, I because I I think I won the category by about 150 walks. It was something absolutely ridiculous, and and so yeah. Now I'm kind of because I was choosing my first pick. The first pick was a was basically a choice between Bregman and Trey Turner coming down at that end and I clearly chose wrong on that one because um, because yeah, I really could use the stolen bases right now instead of the walks but, but, yeah so no I don't I've never found anybody who is is good I, I see kind of those lists of uh, the like the ESPN dynasty keeper 300 list and I'm just like I mean, I think Julio Rodriguez is somewhere in the 30s in that. And I'm like, how do you know? How? And I look at the guys all in the 40s, and I'm like, I would probably trade Julio for any of them, you know? Yeah. And 
uh, well, maybe not. I don't know who, who's behind him, but I mean, how do you how do you kind of go out on that limb when you've never seen it? I mean, maybe you watched the Olympics a bit, you know, you saw him, you saw him play a bit of that, but everybody I heard talking says, oh my God, Joe, there was the Futures game and Joe Adele was the best player on the field by far. And then two years later, we're, we're still waiting for that player, I guess. This is, this is so interesting because 90% of dynasty players are t the total opposite. And then mm -hmm. we we're talking to you and you won four out of your five leagues this year. So it makes me think that. Well, uh, only two of them are dynasty though. The, the other ones are like five keeper, 10 keeper and that, and that sort of thing. But yeah, I, I, the, the one, the one strategy I use that's maybe a little different with regard to keepers is I, or excuse me, with, uh, with prospects is that I, um, I pick them up with an eye towards how good a prospect they're going to become, not necessarily how good a player they're going to be. And so, because I was like, okay, I can take, like I, you take Jose Barrero, who was, I think ranked 60th or something at that. And then there was starting to be a lot of buzz. Oh, he's doing really well. He's doing well. Okay, I'll pick him up. And then he got bumped up to 20th and I could flip it in a sense. And then, and so, yeah. And clearly on the other guys, I just flipped them too early. But, but you yeah. know, as I, there's, as there's I, a profile. Oh, sorry. Sorry, Eric. Um, uh, as I acclimated to, dynasty um you know that i got a little bit of prospect mania in yeah, the other way yeah <laughs> i got a little carried away um because it's you know it's so fun to you it know is, to yeah. project um, yeah it's the, it's the it's the backup quarterback uh in football it's the backup the best quarterback the most popular person in any city is the backup quarterback when the team's losing right right yeah yeah no that's an excellent point um mm -hmm. But I did have a I did have a sobering experience a couple of years ago when I tried to trade for Mackenzie Gore in the other league, uh -huh. and you know I was just positive like this guy is going to be an ace, thoroughbred uh -huh. ace, and uh, you know I put up like some serious major like young major league player uh, okay. in a swap, and you know luckily I got turned down. But watching Mackenzie Gore fall from that pedestal. And, mm -hmm. and just be in a free fall like you you're absolutely right like you really really don't know even when you're positive that you do know they're they're scary yeah and uh i mean you if it's 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 difficult for me because i mean you um i think chris was mentioning earlier kind of looking at my team and saying that there's no holes and that's true that there's no holes but there's no like oh my god i gotta i gotta have that guy right. at the same time i I jokingly say it's a pretty boring kind of team, you know. I mean, I got slow white guys. I got I don't necessarily have anybody, but you can kind of make up for that by not having by having good players, if not great players, at every position. You can kind of bridge that gap, um, and so um, and so yeah. So I'm I'm kind of happy trading for. Um, middle of the road guys, you know, you're Jared Walsh's, you're uh, going with uh, Ryan McMahon and that. And there's ways you can, you can take guys with splits too, and you can make them a little bit better player. Like I don't, 
except when except when injuries require it, I don't usually play Ryan McMahon out of Coors, or I don't I sit Walsh against lefties a lot if I if I have enough guys to fill the, the places. So you can make them you can make good players a little bit better doing that a little bit, and that's and that's something. Um, I, that actually, that came about my first, the first year I played fantasy baseball was, I think, 2003, 2004. And that was the infamous Eduardo Perez year when Eduardo Perez had something like a 1,100 or something OPS against lefty pitchers. And I, ro- I rostered him the whole year to only start him against lefties. After well, after about June, when he was going on his tear, and yeah, it was it was amazing. And if you if you can do if you have the roster spots to do it, it can make it can fill in the holes a little bit. I thought at least that's what I've kind of found. So yeah, I'm falling into that a bit with uh, Austin Meadows. You know who I yeah. had high hopes for coming into the season, and um, <laughs> you know hundred plus RBI, hundred plus ribbies. Yeah, yeah. that's. Not a not a huge disappointment, but yeah, he's uh he's the guy you want to sit against lefty starters. Yeah, but, I mean, you yeah. always think like that the platoon, the team leaning on that platoon, mm-hmm. the the split a little bit more might be might be good for him because he really does feast against uh, against righties. In real life, yeah, it's difficult for fantasy, yeah. but in real life, it's certainly it's certainly better. I did have the opportunity to use him and a Rosarena as a as a platoon in in another league because yeah you don't want to you want to make sure to get a rosarine in there against lefties if you can nice but there's guys yeah there's guys out there jordan luplo Um, they all end up on tampa bay eventually but um but yeah jordan luplo is just destroys um who is it scott van slyke used to just destroy lefty pitchers and eduardo perez and these guys and they can be useful if you have the roster space which I never did, but this year, but, but if you, uh, if you can stay healthy. Yeah. When, when did you start uh, doing fantasy baseball? Do you remember what year that was? Um, I think on, on Yahoo, I think it was 2004, maybe 2005. There was a, there was a site called Sandbox that was actually much better. Cause it just, it, it gave each statistic a, a point value essentially. And I think you can do that too now, but um, and then it just kind of created uh, points, but I just did that usually with. Uh, I think I just like had one league with some friends in that too. Yeah, I'm looking. I think 2003 or 2004 is my first season. If, do you have a, a a favorite player over the years that you you know you, you were always picking every year, or anybody come to mind? Um, there's certainly players that I think I end up with a lot because I think they're underrated. Um, uh, I'm trying I to think if there's. I put you on the spot with that one. Just, I'm yeah, just curious. I'm trying to think. Um, I've ended up with Chris Sale a lot, um, but I don't know. But I don't necessarily know why. I think everybody just looks at that delivery and thinks he's bound to get injured. And so finally, when he did, I don't think anybody was particularly surprised. But no, I can't think of a like over that time somebody that I, I, I had a very, um, I had Buster Posey a lot. 
um, over the years. And I always, I drafted him and I like to get that extra because there was a time when he was giving you a lot of extra production that nobody else at catcher would provide. And that, and that to me was like, well, I'm, I, if you look, if you read down, I'm like, I'm starting with, you know, 30 extra batting points and, and 20 and probably 20 more RBI than any other catcher is going to get. So there was a, I hung on to Buster Posey too long. And then because of that, that's one of the reasons I probably didn't pick him up this year when he was, if I don't remember if he was available in this league, but I know I didn't, I kind of stayed away from him and, and regretted it now. He must, he must've been, I can't remember. He must've been available. I don't think anybody mm-hmm. saw him being fantasy relevant yeah. this year. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. Um, well, this is, this has been awesome. Teo, do you have any uh, final questions for Eric? No, I, I can't think of any questions. We covered so much ground. That was okay. really fascinating and engaging. All right. Well, it's, it's been a pleasure and yeah, thanks for, thanks to you guys for, uh, for all you do with the league. Cause, uh, cause I mean, this is, these kinds of things are like above and beyond the call of duty. I would say for, for, uh, I mean, the league would be great even without that. Cause of the, cause of the energy that all the managers are bringing, but, uh, but yeah, these kind of things are, are really neat. So I appreciate you, you guys. Well, doing congrats that. on a great year, Eric. I mean, that was really impressive and it's even more impressive after hearing about your strategy, honestly. I mean, it's, it's good stuff and, you know, looking forward to next year for sure. Okay. All right. Yeah. Thanks very much. And if you want to offer that the Otani deal again, I might yeah. uh, I might consider that. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring that up, but <laughs> yeah. Well, no. I was. That was that was me looking like a, the fool there. Uh, uh, Chris offered an Otani for Otani swap at the beginning of the season, and I was just I was so worried about my innings pitched there that I uh, that I didn't I didn't give it the consideration I probably should have in retrospect because that would have been a monster but the one that got away the one that got away yeah of course yeah on the other side could i share the other uh the other deal that we didn't do yeah 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 okay yeah we went back and forth a bunch of times about about soroka and that's a that's a bit of a a little bit of a sore subject yeah but that um that i yeah i was looking at i was looking at adding soroka to my to my collection of injured pitchers that I would have for the second half of the year. And, that was, uh, I think I made a post about it, but finally cutting loose Soroka was, was tough for me. And I, I'm glad that he found the home pretty quickly, but that, that's, that sucks. I mean, I, yeah. guy it, I love it, to watch. It sucks more for baseball than it does for us. I mean, yeah, Soroka, exactly. So, Soroka's, Soroka is a throwback in a sense. Soroka's got, Soroka's pitches the way I like to see guys pitch, which is what I would say with skill. I yeah. mean, he, for as young as he is, he's he pitches like an old soul. He pitches kind of, as a Cardinal fan, I would say he pitches kind of Wainwrightish, not with necessarily the curveball, and but just kind of the cerebral approach to things about that. So yeah, I was I was I'm really looking forward to him getting back, even though I don't have. You only be tw- only be 24 next year, so yeah. he's got time. Yeah, I mean the man's not dead, so. <laughs> All right. Well, and good luck to your Braves. If you're, you're thanks a lot. Max Fried is getting uh, d- dinked and dunked to death this evening. So <laughs> don't, don't, don't tell me. I got it. Pa- I got it on pause. So I'm, I'm going to catch up now. All, All right. right. Thanks a lot, Eric. It's been a pleasure, okay. and have thanks. a great off. Yeah, you guys too. Thanks, Dale. Thank you.